Thanks for downloading a 3CR podcast. 3CR is an independent community radio station based in Melbourne, Australia. We need your financial support to keep going. Go to www.3cr.org.au for more information and to donate online. Now stay tuned for your 3CR podcast. Well, good morning, everyone. You're tuned to Community Radio 3CR. Time is just after 7.30. And, of course, it's Sunday morning and time for the 3CR Gardening Show. My name's Pam Vardy. First up, we have to welcome back, of course, because it's the third Sunday in the month, Penny Woodward. Morning, Penny. Morning, Pam. Morning, listeners. And wasn't the rain yesterday wonderful? Oh. Even if I did get stuck in the middle of somewhere because of a flooded road. But <laughs> I was sitting there thinking, yes. <laughs> Mind you, we didn't get as much as I was expecting in Eltham. I don't know how you feel. Good morning, AB. Oh, good morning. Yes, we got 10 mil. Did you? Which was very exciting when I came home. I was actually out down uh, towards Pakenham looking at a new car and um, it was absolutely pouring down there and the wind was whipping and one of, one of the things they say when you're test driving a new car is to drive it on a straight stretch of road, take your hands off the wheel and if it goes off on an angle, uh, there's something wrong with it. But it was impossible to do that because <laughs> it was going off at almost right angles because of the wind and there were branches down everywhere. But yes, rain, beautiful, garden, happy. Right, yeah. okay. So you got 10 mil? We got 10 mil. What about yourself? Um, I don't you have, have a rain gauge. Oh. <laughs> but it didn't. Christmas it didn't. present? <laughs> yeah, maybe. Yeah, I, I don't know how much because I haven't been home. But yep. um, certainly in the city, we, there was an hour, three quarters of an hour to an hour, just steady, heavy, pounding, okay. heavy rain. And yep. that was causing you know, flash flooding and all sorts yep. of stuff. We so need more roof gardens. Well, we do, and we need... More rain gardens. We, yeah, and the sad thing probably about a lot of that rain is it will have just run off. Yeah. Um, because it didn't have time to be absorbed into the soil. But with any luck, enough has been absorbed so that if we get any more over the next few days, it will soak in. Well, I think it'd be great we'll to get a follow-up. If yeah. we can, it'd be wonderful. Yeah, because mm. yeah. mm. it's been so hot. And poor old Sydney with the bushfires. I mean, that's ridiculous. Oh, it's crazy, isn't it? And it does seem a bit weird, but, I mean, now really is the best time to be going out and watering. You know, give give your plants a, a because really, it's really gonna because soak. it's going to soak in, yeah. you know, and get the uh, the liquid seaweed out. And um, in fact, that's what I'll be doing today, just giving plants a, a really good soak. Mm. Yeah, especially like the lemon trees and yeah. stuff. They, yeah, oh, the they, citrus they, that they're yeah. trying to put on fruit. Absolutely, yeah, yeah. Yeah. yeah, they're really suffering at the moment. Right, uh, yeah. Okay, and we have to say good morning to Jeremy Francis from Cloud Hill. Good morning, Jeremy. Good morning, listeners. Good morning, Pam. <laughs> Yes, and a nice drop of rain in Dan Longs as well. Good, so, good. Yes, and um, everyone very happy. Yeah. Uh, the plants happy. Yeah, and it really mm. feels like the weather's turned around. I mean, Pam's the only silly person sitting with a T-shirt on, but the rest of us are covered <laughs> up. <laughs> it's always warm in the it studio. Is, yeah, that's <laughs> true. It is, but yeah, it was chilly when I left home, so. Yep, yeah, fair enough. <laughs> yeah, certainly struggling outdoors. Uh, in our case, uh, well, it's, uh, 600 metres, it was quite chilly this morning, mm-hmm. and, and here I am. My, my winter jumper. <laughs> was it foggy? Uh, not foggy, not, not foggy, yet. but uh, nice and damp yeah. and, and uh, uh, nice and relaxing after. Well, it's been a curious uh, few months, hasn't it? The it first part has. of summer is, uh, was very pleasant, but the, uh, the last few weeks of summer and autumn has been incredibly dry and mm. incredibly hot. And mm. <laughs> Unbelievably so. It's about the third time it's happened since 2009, I think. We've had a, managed to have a heat wave in, the, in, in autumn. Mm, yeah. And yeah. Uh, I'm thinking the whole time, well, if this had been six weeks earlier, it would have been nasty. Yeah. Oh, but yes. uh, but um, the gardens have come through quite well. 
reasonably well. Having said that, it has been incredibly dry, and we did a trip down to Phillip Island uh, just last week, uh, and uh, looking at some um, revegetation planting uh, beside the road just near Phillip Island, and quite a few trees have died. Mm-hmm. Uh, I guess they were planted five, eight years ago, mm-hmm. and um, just in the last few days, last three weeks. Mm, that's mm. sad, isn't it? Yeah. yeah. Out my um, garden, I didn't nurture a few new plants well enough and lost a couple of uh, prostrate uh, banksias, uh, banksia marginata that, um, yeah, I just, I know that banksias over summer, even though they like that really um, well-draining soil, they do need, they are happy with quite a lot of water mm. as long as it's well-draining. And, yeah, so I lost a couple of them. And interestingly, I've got, a row of, uh, well, I had a row of three Correa glabra. I now have a row of one Correa glabra. Can we call it a row? But they're right next to each other. I gave them all the same attention. And the one that has actually thrived is the one that a rabbit has burrowed underneath. Like, and I'm talking they're only, you know, 40 centimetres high. Right. And a rabbit has... Um, burrowed underneath because of course I've got them covered in bird cages as I do to protect them when they're young so there's this massive hole that is literally going underneath the plant and I can stand there with a hose down the hole to fill it up and it just like I could I think I could stand there for half an hour it must be either really deep hole or it is then just draining through and that is the Correa that has survived with this massive hole underneath and I was thinking oh you know the root system will be all exposed but no that's so oh, it's just beyond me I think you've got a very wet rabbit <laughs> I think so <laughs> or it's because you've been standing there filling up the rabbit <laughs> hole and walking well, it really it's well. the most bizarre thing I kept waiting for the rabbit to come running out yes. but it didn't so, <laughs> so you have another I might say that uh, when I was trying to garden in Western Australia in a very hot, dry area, that we always planted trees with a pipe uh, beside the root system, and we'd so that we could pour a bucket of water straight down into the root system, and that was the only way we could keep things uh, yeah, or get such things a brilliant to establish. Idea. Yeah, mm. yeah, and of course in Alice Springs they've got um, they've got exactly that that pipe system with a. Um, a mini water tank next to each plant. I mean, this is on the drive from the airport. So each each mm. tree has its own mini water tank, which I find delightful. <laughs> <laughs> Fantastic. Now, Jeremy, we were, um, well, I in particular was delighted to see a wonderful presentation of Cloud Hill on Gardening Australia this week. Yes, yes, courtesy of Costa. They, they came and did some filming a few weeks ago and that, they, and that filming was used as links in the um, program on Friday night. It's mm. repeated today, isn't it? At yes, some it time is. Or other. One I, o'clock, I, I think. One o'clock, yeah, I should have really checked on that, shouldn't I? Yeah. But, uh, and, uh, yes, caught the garden looking very handsome um, uh, just in the last, uh, well, the mid-summer or so. Ah, it's uh, very interesting what's happening with the uh, ABC, uh, the Gardening, uh, Gardening Australia at the moment, and extending the the program out to 60 minutes and allowing people time to to think about what they're saying. It's really, really good. <laughs> um, no, some of the best programs I have seen um, ever on Gardening Australia have been broadcast over the last uh, few weeks. Mm. 
It's, and, it was interesting at the garden show because um, I was working on the Gardening Australia and Organic Gardener stand, and the number of people who came up and said we love the new show. Mm. Yeah. So it's obviously going. Well, it's down meaty, well isn't with it? The, with the listeners yeah. too, I think. My, my feeling about the first couple was it felt as if they were filling a bit, but I think they've found their stride now, and I think there's been, I agree with you, there's been some great content. I'm trying to think. We, we might have been on the first couple. Yeah. <laughs> um, thought, yeah. yeah, there, there was a program, there was a segment on Claire Takish's work. And, yes. and yeah. um, I, I thought that was very nice. <laughs> in, fact, yeah. in fact, I thought it was better than very nice. I thought that was absolutely superb. Mm-hmm. And um, because um, she has made a career out of gun photography and, and using very early morning and late evening light, uh, mm. the ABC team arrived in the dark that morning. <laughs> <laughs> Something unheard of. And uh, they, they did a brilliant job of, of capturing the garden uh, in, uh, at that same time of the morning. Mm. No, all good. Okay, I'm going to get straight into some community announcements. Um, firstly, uh, if you haven't been up there, on today is the second day um, up at Tesla's, uh, their Gardening and Plant Expo. Now, um, this, uh, as well as uh, some uh, a, a, a huge number of um, stall holders up there selling a wide range of plants of all descriptions, um, uh, and also uh, garden implements, all sorts of things up there. There is um, a full program of guest speakers happening today. So um, you've got uh, Tim Druitt of Red Earth Bulbs, uh, Martin Ferrugia of Australian Bread Begonias, um, Attila Capitani of Australian Succulents and Bottle Plants, uh, Stephen Ryan, of course, uh, will be giving the keynote presentation, uh, there'll be John uh, Presley of Butterfield Farm, and uh, John Ferris of Edible Forest Gardens. So some really excellent uh, talks happening up there today. Now, the address of Tessalars is 357 Monbulk Road in Sylvan. It opens at 10 a.m. this morning, running through until 5 o'clock. And uh, if you would like more information, 97377701. But that's all on today. Uh, now, also... Um, the, uh, also on today, the Victorian Native Bonsai Club have got their 2018 exhibition. The venue for this one is Domain House, Dallas Brooks Drive, uh, at the Royal Botanics Well. It's just opposite uh, the herbarium there. Um, and uh, it's open 9 till 4 o'clock. Entry, adults $5, children under 15 free. It's featuring, obviously, Australian native bonsai and pre-bonsai stock for sale, as well as bonsai-related items. So uh, that's happening. Now, um, moving on to uh, next weekend. Next weekend is the autumn show for Fernie Creek Horticultural Society. Always a wonderful show up at Fernie Creek, and, of course, their garden will be looking splendid at the moment. It's at 100 Hilton Road in Sassafras, um, Saturday it's open 12 noon till 4 Sunday 10 till 4 uh, So as I say that's uh, all happening uh, next weekend And they're going to be, there's going to be guided uh, garden walks there And they'll be featuring hydrangeas, autumn foliage, proteas Autumn flowering bulbs And uh, some uh, fantastic flower display, displays There's plenty of parking there and if you'd like uh, more information on that one, you can phone 
97551882. That's 97551882. Uh, now, coming up uh, also next weekend, um, Open Gardens Victoria have three gardens up in the Goldfields area opening. Uh, now, this is... Uh, the Goldfields area, of course, uh, being around Castlemaine and Bendigo. Uh, so, as I say, the three gardens opening. The first one is called Hedgehogs. It's at Barker's Creek, which is uh, just north of Castlemaine. It features both exotic and native plantings and a lovely naturalistic pond designed by Gordon Ford. There are many fruit trees and a beautiful grapevine-covered walk. The next garden is Belleville. Uh, now, this is in the old mining town of Denali, which um, surrounds a restored 1860s residence with a more formal garden at the front, leading to a rambling series of gravel paths through layered plantings and beautiful autumn trees. And finally, Sally's Garden, which is in Kennington, which is uh, a more urban setting of Bendigo, and this is a contemporary-style garden of textured planting schemes and a series of intimate living spaces where you can sit and enjoy the garden. Now, if you're interested in going to any of these three gardens, I will give out the full addresses. Hedgehogs is at 60 Hague's Road, that's H-A-G-U-E-S, Hague's Road, Barker's Creek. Uh, Belleville is at 26 to 28 Market Street in Denali. And Sally's Garden is at 43 Steen Street, S-T-E-A-N-E, Steen Street in Kennington, which is basically um, a suburb of Bendigo. Now, all of the gardens are open um, both Saturday and Sunday of next weekend, 10 o'clock through till 4.30. Entry adults, $8 per garden. Students, $5 per garden. Children under 18 are free. At Hedgehogs, there'll be uh, Garden Owner Talks, How to Build a Pizza Oven at 10.30 and 2.30, morning and afternoon tea available. At Belleville, there'll be Quality District Wines for sale by the glass and there'll be a Tiny Towns Arts Trail, an open house of art, artist studios, gallery spaces and rarely open buildings taking place at Denali and other local towns. And finally, at Sally's Garden, there'll be morning and afternoon teas available as well. Now, as usual, our good friends at Open Gardens Victoria have given us a free double pass to each of these uh, gardens. If you would like to uh, grab a double pass uh, for one of them, uh, do give us a call. That number is 94190155. That's 94190155. And you can get a free double pass to one of these three gardens and it would make a wonderful weekend uh, with three gardens open. You could maybe stay overnight and make a real weekend of it. But uh, do give us a call um, at the moment if you'd like one of those uh, free double passes and we will post them out to you. Now, a couple of other things coming up. Uh, the Australian Plant Society Yarra Yarra Group is having its regular autumn native plant and book sale. This is taking place on Saturday the 28th of April, 10 till 4. It's at the Senior Citizens Centre, which is at 903 Main Road in Eltham, and it's free entry for that one. There'll be tube stock, 
to uh, advanced plants available, indigenous and grafted stock, and books on related subjects as well, all at great prices. So uh, if you want more information on that one, 94397228. That's 94397228. And uh, AB, you've got something very special coming up on the 29th. 29th, yes, Yes. when you will be away. I will. You'll be on a plane. I will. Uh, (laughs) Yes, this is the uh, Habitat Gardening Workshop that's being held at uh, Cranbourne Botanic Gardens or the Australian Botanic Gardens. Uh, Goodness gracious. The (laughs) Botanic Gardens in Cranbourne. Had to get there eventually. Um, So it's an all-day workshop all about um, how you can uh, develop a garden that um, both attracts and supports your local fauna. Um, And we're talking about, you know, bees and butterflies and frogs and lizards and birds and mammals. Um, So it's an all-day workshop. Uh, Starts at, uh, well, it's 9.30 for a 10 a.m. start. Uh, There's various speakers. Um, um, Starting off the morning will be Nadine Gaskell, who's the uh, Biodiversity Coordinator at the City of Knox for a program called Gardens for Wildlife. And um, that's the City of Knox in collaboration with the Knox Environmental Society and um, they've teamed up to help residents learn about um, what native fauna they could be attracting and and the plants that are available. So there's a really good partnership happening there. I think it's a very strong program. And I know Knox, you know, like quite a few councils, have got a really terrific um, sustainability sort of outlook and, you know, most councils have got long lists of um, the endemic plants for the, for your region, so um, well worth hopping onto um, your local council website if you're interested in planting a few natives. Um, there's, I'll be talking next, I'm talking about the what, how and why um, so looking at habitats holistically, um, literally from the ground up. And um, then I'll also be interviewing a woman by the name of Pam Yarra, whose um, um, garden I've um, created a case study on in a book that I've written on habitat gardens, which will be coming out later in the year. And Pam has got a delightful habitat garden in uh, Kilsyth and um, fairly standard block, but um, bought the garden a few decades ago with her husband and um, over the next years have yeah just created this incredible space and it's an, it's absolutely alive with um, various critters you know from the frogs and the lizards through to you know, they've got ringtails and and um, brushies or a brushy and um, you know the sort of the trials and triumphs that she went through so I'll be chatting sort of an interview style with um, with Pam Yarra so that'll be terrific um, We've got a um, session on providing permanent water soaks and swales in the garden. And this is with Emmeline Bowman. And Emmeline, some people would have uh, seen her gardens at MIFGIS, at the Flower and Melbourne Flower and Garden Show. Uh, last year she won a gold for her garden and this year she had a corner plot which was... Um, quite large and beautifully developed, um, had a bit of a creek running through and um, lots of native plants and um, Emmeline's um, yeah, so she's an up and coming landscape designer um, she's at actually a landscape architect by trade and I think she's possibly one of the only landscape architects who knows so many plants. She really is plant focused, whereas a lot of <laughs> landscape great. architects are really focused on the hard landscaping. That's but right. Yeah, so she's not only knows her plants, but she also um, 
is right into the native plants and the sustainability of gardens. So, and in her designs, she um, creates a lot of ponds, and she's she's done a lot of work with ponds and um, swales and that sort of thing. So, Emmeline's going to be terrific to listen to. Um, then we've got uh, a friend that. N- Quite a few people would have heard about uh, Roger Elliott. He'll be um, talking. He's got a couple of talks. One is on creating habitat in small spaces. And, of course, uh, uh, Roger and Gwen, uh, when they moved, um, I think they're in Berwick now, from a, a really large space to a much, much smaller garden. And um, they have just created this absolute almost a jungle of, you know, native plants and, and it's a real um, mecca for the, the birds. And, you know, Roger sent through a, a photo a couple of months ago of the, uh, I think it was a yellow-tailed black cocky having a drink at their um, little water feature that they have there. So they've done an incredible job and um, I had a little sneak peek at his presentation and there's all the before and during and after photos of his garden which people love to look at because just seeing that progression and seeing how people place plants is um yeah it's always terrific to see how the experts do it so yes so that's one of the talks he's giving it is on um creating habitat in small spaces and the other one is um Habitat Gardens for Lizards. So that should be terrific as well. And then uh, Bronnie Swartz, um, she's a horticulturalist at the Cranbourne Gardens and she's studied agriculture and land management and um, she's really interested in the relationships between plants and insects. So she'll be talking about um, catering for insects in the garden. And um, finally, um, to wrap up, there'll be a visit to... um, David and Cherie Duncan's garden and they both work at Cranbourne Gardens and they live just their garden is adjacent to the gardens and um, it's called the Whisper Garden, their garden and they've pretty much given over the entire backyard to habitat and it's another of the case studies that I've included in the book and it's really terrific because and quite amusing because you turn up and um, their front garden is lawn and standard roses and very open and there's a sign on the fence that says this garden is protecting the southern brown bandicoot and you think, really? Where on earth is the southern brown bandicoot going to live in this garden? And then you walk through the house and their entire um, sort of lounge room back windows, you know, floor-to-ceiling windows, and you look out onto this expanse of habitat garden, basically, and they've used um, indigenous plants mostly, but then, you know, a mix of um, other natives as well that they love. And this garden is just absolutely alive. You sort of walk through and they encourage you to not talk, as you go through just so that the animals aren't disturbed or disturbed as least as possible and um, yeah they've got bandicoots in the garden and um, so that is going to be a real treat for people I think to be able to experience what you can do and one of the things that um, they say that they love about the garden is it's so low maintenance and I think that's one of the things about habitat gardens which Mm. is so terrific they're less tidy and uh, as Dave says you know if, if there's a spider web on a path where I was going to go down and weed, I don't want to disturb the spider. So what I'll, I'll go and grab a cup of coffee instead and sit down and watch it. You know, so they've changed their sort of thinking around how they garden. And, um, yeah, so that, that will wrap up the day. So that's uh, – better get on to the, um, uh, 
the phone numbers and whatnot to call for it. Um, yeah, so this is the Habitat Gardening Workshop that's on Sunday the 29th of April at the um, Australian Auditorium, Australian Gardens at RBGV Cranbourne. Um, you can call Roger Elliott um, if you need more details on 8774-2483. So it's 8774-2483. Or his mobile is 0448-103-892. And um, bookings are required, and that's at the W's, RBG Friends. Cranburn.org.au. So RBG Friends, Cranburn.org.au, and it's sixty dollars for members, seventy-five for non-members, and thirty dollars for students. So um, yes, I think that's going to be it's a going to be a day. wonderful day. Yeah, fantastic. Yeah. yeah, and I think even just the topic is exciting. And mm. um, having you know done obviously a lot of research on the book. Um, I just see a real move towards um, both, you know, individual gardeners being interested in creating a bit of habitat and, or at least a bit of habitat, and also uh, councils. You know, as I was um, exploring the different cities, I noticed a lot of small spaces have been given over, not necessarily given over to habitat, but they've been. Um, really delightfully designed. You know, they might have a dry creek running through the area, which obviously when it, it rains, it, you know, the water, the stormwater will come through and be filtered before it goes off into the oceans. Um, and, you know, a lot of native plants. And it's just, yeah, really terrific to see that we're starting to uh, more and more think about those habitats and, you know, just creating the links through to all mm. the reserves and parklands mm. that we've got. Fantastic. Yeah, yeah, it's terrific. Yeah. Penny, you've got a couple of things coming up. Yeah, um, next weekend I'm speaking at the Edenvale Community Farm up in Eltham. Such a lovely place. Dirty Gaston Throat. Don't see the goats. Yeah, no, and they're beautiful. It's so great. (laughs) So I'm talking about, um, and this is a bit about diversity and habitat gardening, um, which, yeah, so about natural solutions to garden pests. And that is part of, you know, allowing the native plants and everything in the garden oh. as well as... So, you know, you don't have to have entirely native gardens to have a habitat. Oh, absolutely. Full of yep. all sorts of things. Um, and that's at 10.30. And then in the afternoon, I'm talking about garlic mm-hmm. at 2 o'clock. So that's a Sustainable Gardens Australia um, function. They've, okay. they've, they've organised the whole thing. So I- anyone who's interested in coming along, I assume there'll be some places left. It's nine four triple three seven double one. So nine four triple three seven double one. That's um, next Sunday, so the twenty second. And then the following Saturday, um, which I think is going to be quite exciting, and I have to um, say that I have a conflict of interest in this because this is where my daughter works. Uh, But it's being held at the uh, Paran Mechanics Institute Victorian History Library, which is this amazing library in Paran. Um, which all they mainly what they do is Victorian history. They have all sorts of things. But they've got Tim Entwistle coming along to talk about shared dreams and destinies, botanic gardens of Melbourne and Sydney. So he's looking at the history of our two two of our oldest botanic gardens. Um, and he, uh, for those of 
you who don't know Tim Entwistle, he's a scientist and scientific communicator and, bota- and the Botanic Gardens director in Melbourne. So he took up the role there at, um, in 2013. And uh, he's, he's saying about the gardens that both gardens stuttered in their beginnings, but through the varied influences of directors such as Charles Moore and Ferdinand Mueller and William Guilfoyle and Joseph Maiden, it's fair to say they exceeded expectations by the early years of the 20th century. And there are some curious parallels in their development and undoubtedly more in their future. Climate change, financial security and that growing community ailment, plant blindness, will test both gardens as they negotiate the next century or two. So plant sounds, blindness. Yeah, that well, sounds you'll have fascinating. To to, he's, <laughs> he's such a good speaker. He is a very too. good speaker, He's yes. just wonderful. So if you've never heard him speak, it's well worth going. It's only a gold coin donation. It's part of the Heritage Festival that the National Trust is running at the moment. And you can say hello to my gorgeous daughter, Ellen, who's <laughs> been organising some of it. Um, and the phone number, if you would like to book, is uh, 95103393. And it's on from 2 until 3.30 on Saturday, the 28th of April. Fantastic. Okay. Um, Jeremy, you've got a couple of things to speak about too. Oh, uh, one or two. Yes, just <laughs> yeah, one <so> or two. <laughs> no one uh, rests on their laurels around yes. here, do they? <laughs> um, well, number one, there's a, there's a little um, exhibition of lino cuts in the Seasons Restaurants at the moment by Cam uh, Nucky. And um, so uh, that's some um, oh, 12, 15 or so little works scattered around the walls. Uh, he does, um, well, I if you know lino cuts. I love lino cuts. Yeah. It's <laughs> a beautiful medium. Yes, it, it, it can be just absolutely stunning, and he's pretty good at what he does, so it's great fun to pop in and have a look. Um, now, there's, uh, my wife, uh, Valerie, has been busily working with Secret Gardens, the Dandenongs, and that's progressing, and um, they're just about to start um, uh, advertising and selling tickets, but that, that's pretty well organised for next spring, so mm-hmm. we're talking October, so that, that's back on again, so people can um, buy a ticket to visit, to spend the day um, on a little coach going around meeting owners of gardens and seeing some uh, private gardens. And, of course, the Dandongs are absolutely <laughs> rattled with mm. private gardens, which are pretty darn good. Oh, yes. And um, and meet the uh, and actually talk to the um, owners with a uh, like-minded little group of people, so they're fairly small and exclusive. Uh, worked extremely well over the last year or two. Oh, and look, so it's been a fantastic event. Um, yep. And my congratulations to Valerie and, and the others on the team because I know how hard they've worked to, to um, well, not only to produce this but to, to maintain it. I'm so delighted that it's going to be all taking place again. Um, now, I think last year it ran over a couple of different weekends. Is that going to be happening again, do you know? Yes, uh, well, uh, yes, that's quite right. And the, the last couple of weekends in October. Right. Um, but as we approach that, uh, as we approach spring, well, it'll all become pretty obvious. So just mark it in your diary to, uh, and don't leave it too late too, because they, they sold every single ticket with a, with a few weeks to spare last spring. And I'm sure the same thing will happen this spring. Oh, absolutely. Now, will that be, I presume all the details will be up on the website? Yes, up and on, uh, on the Cloud Hill website or, uh, or the, and just um, the secret gardens of the Danlong Rangers. Uh, just uh, just uh, type, uh, that, d- in type that into your search engine and away you go. Okay, <laughs> fantastic. 
And uh, there's something else I'd like to mention. Sure. Uh, now, this is uh, words getting around. Uh, for anyone who went to Warwick Forges, Warwick and Sioux Forges, I should say, the, the big uh, landscape conference uh, a few weeks ago uh, towards the end of March, um, um, well, that was just a stunning conference and that one of a whole series which had been running ever since Tony Mugg um, had the inaugural, in, inaugural conference back in... Uh, when was that? 19, 1988, I think it was. Gosh. Yeah, yes, okay. I've been running that long, but yes. sadly this is likely to be the last one unless, I heard le- that. unless we can find someone to take it on. Yes. And, um, so if anyone's interested and it's, 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 it's the most outstanding event of its type in the world. And the guest speakers. The guest speakers over have, the years been have been absolutely amazing. Yeah. So I've, I've been trying to get to them all and, and I did manage to sneak along to this one, although it was touch and go this time. I actually had to ring, ring Warwick at, uh, with two days to spare and if it's going to rain this weekend. I'm, I don't have to be home watering. I can come. <laughs> Are there any tickets still available? And uh, I managed to sneak in, and, and in fact, they uh, they sold more tickets to this last conference than any other conference. So wow. that, that that's exciting, and it is. hopefully encouraging for someone to take it on. But Warwick Conserve have been running this now for an amazing number of years. Mm. <laughs> it's every two years, but it's a huge amount of work oh, and it's gosh, because yes. there are speakers from all over the world. But they had two or three outstanding Australian speakers. Um, I had Bernard Trainer, who, well, he's a Melbourne boy, but uh, working in California now. Um, he, his presentation was absolutely outstanding. But uh, uh, but then they, uh, Warwick also had Kate Cullity, and oh, wow. what does one say? Uh, you know, Australia's most probably outstanding um, landscape architect uh, ever. And Sam Cox, who has picked up the baton, well, going all the way back to Edna Walling and, and, uh, Ella Stones and, and Gordon, Gordon Ford. Ford. And, uh, in a way, the work he is doing is, 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 uh, is, well, he has absorbed all those lessons and taking, taking that work two or three steps further again. So just a brilliant presentation. Mm. Noel Kingsbury, uh, one of the, the world's leading writers, and uh, he was talking about the work of Pete Uldoff largely. Mm-hmm. And that's the point of, <laughs> that's what I'm going to, because there's actually been a documentary made on Pete Uldoff's work. Okay. Uh, by, um, by a um, gentleman, by an American, Tom Piper. And he, he's based in New York, and of course one of the outstanding uh, projects that Pete Uldoff has been working on is the High Line in New York. Now, for anyone who's not aware of Pete Uldoff's work, it's been um, he's been uh, well. Noel Kingsbury's been working to publicise uh, Pete Uldoff's work for many, many years. There's been a number of books published on the new perennial planting that Pete Uldoff is right at the centre of. Um, Valerie and I actually had the chance to go to Peter Aldoff's uh, own garden oh, back in 2012 fantastic. and we walked around just at the beginning of summer and watching these extraordinary perennials just coming into flower. That, that was just one of the, the, the great days of my life, quite honestly. <laughs> anyway, there's, um, Tom Piper has spent two or three years making this documentary. Um, it's called, um, Five Seasons. The Gardens of Pete Uldoff. 
and um, uh, a, a, a young enthusiast, uh, a neighbour of ours, um, has um, 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 Ashley Aramenko has actually managed to uh, persuade Tom Piper to allow screenings of this documentary uh, in Victoria. Now it's not actually been launched in America yet, so okay. that, so we're not calling calling this a a, uh, a launch. We're calling it a sneak preview. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> But it's actually going to be featured in 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 uh, the um, Lido Group cinemas on Mother's Day weekend. Wow! And so anyone Fantastic. interested in serious landscape design and or just wanting to spend an hour watching uh, a documentary, a superb documentary, which I might add is winning quite a few awards, uh, you can go along and and. Um, um, well, I, I think it might be good to actually get in t- contact with one of your cinemas. So it's on at the, the Cameo, the Lido and the Classic Cinema on a Mother's Day weekend on uh, just one screening each day, so on the Saturday and Sunday, and I think it's 4 p.m. And I think there might be one or two screenings in country Victoria, which I'm not quite, ac- quite across. Fair I'll, enough. I'll, I'll figure this out and get it onto our website. But this is a chance for anyone interested in 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 some of the well cutting edge mm. perennial planting uh, worldwide to to see um, a documentary which several years' work has gone into. It's, mm. it is, I've, I've seen a, a, a trailers and it is just outstanding. So mm. I think you've just solved listeners' um, <laughs> problem of what to give mother. Yeah. <laughs> mother well, the ultimate <laughs> Mother's Day weekend yeah. for anyone interested in gardening, for wow. a ticket to this uh, to the cinema. Yes, yep. fantastic. <laughs> I have That's to say, really when, I, when we were in uh, Europe last year. Um, I, one of the highlights for me was going to Kew and seeing the Pete Udolf uh, borders there, yep. which are you know eight meters wide and about a hundred meters long, and just um, being able to walk past and, and just see the placement, and it was yeah quite exquisite. And then you know you get to the top of the hill because it's on a bit of a rise, and you look back and you see how clever it all is, of course, because like a like an oil painting up close, you don't really get the you know the whole majesty of it all but then you step back away from it and look at it and it all comes at you so mm. yeah that that was quite special so I'll be checking out this uh, documentary <laughs> for sure <laughs> Fantastic. Yeah well he's been working on projects all around the world uh, well all, the, all around the northern hemisphere at least uh, mm. uh, nothing in Australia yet <laughs> Yes okay um, wonderful. It is high time. We invited our listeners to give us a call to join uh, the program for the morning. If you'd like to phone in and uh, make a comment or ask a gardening question, do give us a call. The number is 94190155. That's 94190155 to speak to the team on air. Um, we have Penny Woodward, A.B. Bishop and Jeremy Francis in the studio this morning. Or if you'd like to have a chat to Jan on the outside line, um, you can you can give her a call on nine four one nine eight three double seven. Now I should uh, also mention that um, the Open Gardens Victoria Goldfield Gardens that I mentioned, uh, we do still have two um, free double passes to give away. Belleville has already gone, but we do have uh, a free double pass to either Hedgehogs or to Sally's Garden. Now, Hedgehogs uh, is the one in Barker's Creek near Castlemaine, featuring both exotic and native plantings, 
and a lovely naturalistic pond area designed by Gordon Ford uh, with fruit trees and beautiful grapevine-covered walk, or Sally's Garden in Kennington, which is uh, in an urban setting of Bendigo and is a contemporary-style garden of textured planting schemes and a series of intimate living spaces where you can sit and enjoy the garden. So we do have um, a free double pass to uh, each of those two gardens left. If you'd like uh, to grab one of those for um, a wonderful weekend next weekend to go and visit some of these gardens, that number is 94190155. Penny, you've been really busy. Um, I think you've already mentioned to listeners that you've also got, like AB, you've got a book coming out a little bit later in the year. Yes, well, Karen and I together, so um, with our other co-author in Tassie, Janice Sutton. So, yeah, um, October, we hope it will be available. So we'll, we'll fill you in more about we're just in the, in the chaos of the final design part at the moment. Right. So, yeah, and we're running a little bit behind, so we're... Sort of fingers crossed, it's, um, it's all going to come together in time. And <laughs> there won't be any war strikes or anything like that. Because <laughs> <laughs> we're launching it, um, because we've written it in association with the um, Tasmanian Botanic Gardens, we're launching it in the Botanic Gardens there on the 17th of October. So Great place for launch. to have books. So yes, absolutely. Books would be handy yes. for a book <laughs> launch, yeah. It's only once with, with all my books, that there's only once where we haven't had books where they had to air freight over just 20 of them to show people. Right. Because there was a delay. But if so Terrifying. That was, yeah, <laughs> it, is. it is. Absolutely. It's much better if you sort of um, can get it all done much more quickly. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's one of the problems of working with several people, um, you know, particularly ones who are... No, although, no, sorry, I won't say not. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> no, but it is just, just purely coordinating, yeah. particularly when yeah. you're in two different states. I mean, that, yeah. that does create does all sorts hard. of problems. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah, and people have different expectations. So, yeah, yeah. yeah. So, oh, I mean, it's hard enough to there. meet a deadline if you're the only author. Yeah. Yes, <laughs> indeed. As you know, A.B. Mm, <laughs> yes, yes. Kind of did my head in a bit, I think. Yeah. So, yeah, I mean, there's there's good and bad of, you know, both co-authoring and writing by yourself, of oh, course. Well, you've yeah. done both as well. Yeah, yeah, but, um, yeah, writing by yourself, oof, that's, um, that deadline comes quick and fast. Yes. <laughs> yeah. You do just need to dedicate time and work yeah. 12 hours a day to mm. get it finished. Yeah. And do you have a launch date? No, it's um, expected this time that it'll be out around November, so okay. prob- probably, you know, maybe first week of December Yes, is possibly, yeah, w- w- yeah, what we'd be looking at. Okay. Hopefully, yeah. Mm. yeah it's still um, it's in uh, design stage at the moment. They're about to send me the, the pages to look at. I've seen the concept and of course it looks incredible. And that's, you know, as you guys would all know, when you send your words away um, to the design team and everyone else, you know, it just it takes on a sort of a, a life of its own. It's just this you're launching this little baby out and letting it go and letting the other creatives do their thing with it and, you know, just to, to see it, um, the edit especially, how, you know, a fresh set of eyes can um, make all the difference in the world for, for where um, the placement of text and and um, and then, of course, the designers, they get it and read through it and go through all your photos and, and, and bring their creativity to it as well. So it's a delightful process. Well, at this stage, now that it's written, it's a delightful process, <laughs> seeing what other people do with it and yes. make of it and, and getting 
emails from people like the designer saying, I'm so excited about this book. Or, you know, I, I want to make a habitat garden in my garden now. And oh, that's yeah, good. That, that kind of thing yeah, is, excellent. excites me. Excellent. Yeah. Jeremy, is there another book in you? <laughs> <laughs> oh, um, um, well, I've been working on a project for a long time. <laughs> I think it's got another year or two to go, but okay. uh, yes. But I'm catching up with uh, some people at the end of this week to nut out some of the ideas, and um, yes, it's <laughs> not too sure whether I'd go into too much detail at the moment. Okay, but, uh, that's it's, fine. Uh, yeah, to, yeah, living in the environment and and to do with um, well, the, the landscape, the deep time landscape of Australia, and. Mm. And Aboriginal um, approaches to you know, the mosaic burning, mm. catching up with Bill Camage, dare I say, in a few days' time to just sort out one or two other aspects of it. So yeah, there's lots, lots of lots of figuring out. I've, I've been it's about 120,000 words. Right. So, so I think the answer to your question, Pam, was yes. <laughs> so, yeah, somehow we, we need to just um, yeah, weed this back to something which people are happy to read, I suppose. Yeah, well, mm. your first book was wonderful. I mean, it was a great success and, and it was so enjoyable to read. So um, I'm looking forward to it, even if it is a couple of years away. <laughs> Most probably, yes. Yeah, okay, fantastic. And that number again, I'll just quickly give out the numbers, yep. Penny. That number again, if you'd like to join us this morning, you are listening to the 3CR Gardening Show. We have Penny Woodward, A.B. Bishop and Jeremy Francis from Cloud Hill in the studio. The number is 94190155 to have a chat to us. Or if you'd like to have a, a talk to Jan on the outside line, 94198377. Uh, I was just going to say that the thing that really excites me is that we're still writing books. Yeah. And yes. people are still reading them. Yeah. I mean, the you doom know, and gloom a few yeah, years ago, yeah, books were done yeah. for, nobody yeah. would read a, pick yeah. up a book. But particularly, I think, in our fields like gardening where, you know, people still want to have an actual book and mm. want to have beautiful photographs. And, you know, I just I just think that's um, very exciting. A yeah. very nice little bookshop opened in the Linda a few weeks ago. Oh, and did it? Yes. Yeah, so that's that's well, positive and news. I, and, I, and I'm walking past every morning. I, I tend to walk to work. Mm. So yes. it's a nice half-hour yeah. walk and yes. pop into the bookshop if I happen to be... That's slow in the morning. To yes. uh, that they, they they're actually open and very pleasant. That's yeah. great. Very civilised. Yeah. yeah, I mean, e-books certainly had their place, depending on what you've written. But uh, there really is nothing nicer, especially for gardening books. No, that's sitting right. down. And yeah. it's so easy if if you want to go back and and and, and look at a reference to something mm. or or check up on details of something or. Or see a photo of a <coughs> plan or a garden that you want to look at closely yep. again. It's so easy if yep. it's in a hard copy book. Yep. Yep. Yeah. yeah. And also, it doesn't have quite the same feel sitting in bed reading a, from an iPad no. as it does a book, does it? And it's <laughs> not, not good for your eyes or your brain yeah. at that no, time exactly. of night either. Exactly. And yeah. can I, the other, the other thing, and I, I didn't actually ask you if it's okay to talk about it. That's okay. But, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, but is that is the, the magazines, are hold, some of the magazines are holding up too. So, you know, apparently Organic Gardener has increased. Um, That's fantastic. And we know that Gardening Australia mm. has increased. Mm. So I just think it's brilliant that people are getting on board and supporting these these local magazines, mm. local books, local 
you know, because we don't have that, that industry if people aren't reading them and mm. aren't, aren't enjoying them. That's and, right. And again, it's one of the things I love about being at, at the Melbourne International Flower and Garden Show. You, we get so many people coming up and get to hear, and <laughs> they tell you how they, how what they're enjoying and what they're finding interesting, and you know, it's just, it's just great. The so thing I love really about awesome. magazines now, the gardening magazine, there's chock full of information every yeah. single month or second month whenever they come out there's little tiny little tips and tricks and then there's longer stories and there's experts it just really blows my mind at how they manage to put together these unique um magazines every single month you know oh, with yeah. so much information it's it's quite incredible this I actually one. i actually uh, came along uh, with a copy of garden illustrated the oh, english oh, okay. uh, international magazine, magazine yeah. and uh, the latest issue sure enough is three um, articles illustrated by Claire Takish, who oh, I mentioned a little bit earlier. Yeah. <laughs> and one of them is Martha Stewart's Garden in New England in America, and uh, another one is the Garden in Spain, which was actually featured at the Landscape Conference. Okay. And a third one is the Garden in Morocco. And you, I'm, I'm, I'm instantly thinking, gee, that's a lot of airfares, isn't it? <laughs> <laughs> Because uh, last month uh, there was a garden in, in um, the north of England featured as well, so um, oh, uh, lots, of, lots of lots she's... of hopping around and yeah, absolutely. So um, yeah, just something to keep an eye on as well. Mm, yes, absolutely. Yes. So Pam, can I tell you what's in the sure. current issue of Organic Gardener? Goody. I'm betting um, there's something about citrus. Uh, there is something <laughs> about citrus. Seeing it's on the front cover. <laughs> yes. So Dennis Crawford is actually talking about um, controlling pests mm-hmm. and diseases on citrus. So and he he is just such a scientist and such a nerd about pests and pests in particular, but pests and diseases. So that's a terrific. He read article. my insect section oh, in, in my oh, book. Oh, good. Yeah, yeah. Good. Sent it straight to the expert. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, he's he's provided us with some photos for our book. So yes, he's his a, photography he's a good is man. amazing. Yeah, he's terrific. Um, there's a really lovely article about the fungi that you find in the garden by Alison Poulet, mm. um, oh. who you know, and they're just stunning, stunning photographs. So, um, and she's such an interesting person, and it's it's actually, and I'm sure you've done this in your book as well, but it's nice to see something from a slightly more scientific point of view because she's a scientist, and so it's not. Um, it's slightly more technical, but mm. it's it sort of stretches your thinking, and you know, and I've just I've done an article on winter so herbs that are really good for winter so for Great using photo. stews and all, that's not my phone that's, <laughs> that's a bought in one um, but yeah there's some and so I think that's interesting and the lovely Annabelle um, God, Annabelle Langbank um, is written all about cabbages so, all right and and uh, it's a it was funny when she when she wrote in her first. Um, version of the article about the first page was all about the history of cabbages and how people did have done the wrong thing about them rather than the really good things that you can do with cabbages so we needed to edit it down a little bit so that we had a bit about all the dreadful things that people have done to boiling them to death boiling them to death <laughs> and stinking the house out and all that all that sort of thing so um yeah, so it's a, it's an interesting story. I, lo- I always love the way Annabelle Langbein's articles start with a story from her experience of um, both cooking and gardening. So that's a that's a terrific article. And um, I'm just trying to think what else we've got. And there's some lovely stories about people and gardening. Um, there's one about you know apple cider and the apple aisle and um, 
nourishing um, thick shakes and how to sharpen your tools and it's a really nice mixture but there's also um, the stories of people and the amazing things that they're doing in their gardens Wonderful. which I think is, is just great. So and You learn so much from other yeah, people don't you? You do. D- I mean you doesn't do. and uh, you even yeah. with, you know, Jeremy brought in the, the Gardens Illustrated, um, I was thinking, you know, of course, the um, Moroccan garden, you know, you'd get elements of that, you know, what they've done in their gardens and it would be useful for gardeners in Melbourne. So it, do, it doesn't matter what magazine you read from where it is in the world. You can always glean useful information for yourself. Oh, absolutely. Except you should always read organic gardens. <laughs> of course, yes. <laughs> of, of course, Penny goes without Totally unbiased. <laughs> absolutely. But no, it's an interesting point that you were making about um, the experts and in uh, my book, I did send out um, quite a few of my sections to experts to read. My section on bats, I sent to Annette Scanlon and at the um, University of South Australia, and um, a section I wrote on birds. Um, Adrian Dwyer, who is a uh, researcher, and um, at um, oh, now I'm going to get this wrong because there were two Adrian Dwyers, and one was at Monash, and one was at, was at RMIT. I think he's the RMIT one, and um, he's been studying um, bird vision and and specifically um, ultraviolet um, bird vision for 30 years. So okay. I got him to read my section because. Within um, habitat gardens, I talk about um, how birds and bees and butterflies see plants and how they see them differently to us, and lots of them use um, UV and you know what to look what to us looks like a white flower um, can look completely different to a, to a um, butterfly or a bee or a bird, mm. and uh, yeah, just having that real scientific perspective. Um, has made a real difference. So I've quoted these experts in the book. You know, I wrote a section on it, and he was like, "Ah, yeah, I think we need to make a few changes." I'm like, go for it, Adrian. But yeah, it is terrific just mm. bringing in that. Mm. Um, you know, people who have been studying it for so long and they know the subject backwards, and they're not always given the opportunity to share That's their right. knowledge with people. Yes. And sometimes uh, researchers and, and scientists they have such a dry way of articulating it. It just can be rather, not necessarily boring, but difficult to understand. Yet Mm. when I I sort of see us as the conduits for this um, really good information to be able to to share it with general gardeners. Mm. Fantastic. Okay, we've had a message in from the outside line. Um, uh, Lynn has called to say that there are three places left in her workshop next Sunday, uh, the 22nd of April. Uh, it's down at Cranbourne uh, Royal Botanic Gardens uh, Arid Centre. Uh, it's a workshop on basket making uh, with native plants. It's running 10 a.m. through to 4 p.m. Uh, cost is $60 for members of the friends group, $65 for non-members. Uh, BYO lunch. Um, if you'd like more information, you can phone 0437. Uh, 7596101 uh, for more information or to book um, you can email bookings at rbgfriendscranburn.org.au or go to the website I'll just give out that number again 0437 7596101 or for bookings go to bookings at rbgfriendscranburn.org.au 
Okay, we're going to our first caller and we have Marnie down in Red Hill. Good morning, Marnie. Oh, good morning. Um, yes, my daughter's in a suburban, has a suburban garden in Mornington with a beautiful snow gum uh, and it's dying. Um, so we'd like to know what to replace it with, but a small gum that's not going to impact on neighbours and or not annoy neighbours. So um, when you say it's dying, uh, you wouldn't want to try and revive it? Well, I, I noticed a few weeks ago that uh, some branches of leaves were totally dying and uh, well, we sort of, yeah. It's such a beautiful it. tree. I, I, know, I, mean, I I'd be know. inclined to give it a um, a bit of a spray and a, I'm not sure how big it is, but a, a, a full... Oh, it's you know, fairly big. Fairly big, okay. Yeah. So uh, just be a, a root application of liquid seaweed to, and a good deep watering because, yeah. as we know, it has been so dry, what we were talking about earlier, and a lot of plants, they're suffering and they need yeah. a really good water. So it might be over the next few months to give it a lot of TLC yeah. and uh, see if it improves. Well, it's definitely worth a try. We had sort of talked about doing that and we had sort of given, but I, how, I mean, how much water do you need? You know, this is a fairly big tree so how much water do you need to well, I mean, it does depend on how much rain of course you're mm. getting but you mm. I mean you'd be looking at giving give it give it a soak every week for a few weeks yeah so like is that like an hour of watering yeah or? well depending yeah. on you know what sort of whether you're staying there with a hose or whether you've yeah. got a, a sprinkler system or whatever but I sometimes put a a sprinkler system on mist and yeah. then leave it for a few hours because yeah. there's not a lot coming out but it's really fine water it's soaking yeah. into the soil really well and definitely uh, some liquid seaweed okay uh, yep, we'll definitely try that. So. Um, AB, can I just ask, I would have thought that a spot like Mornington um, near the coast, dry, really dry conditions would not be the ideal place to have a snow gum. But no. am I completely wrong about that? Well, I mean, they do, they do have quite a broad range, surprisingly, and um, it does also depend on... Um, where you what um, where it came from originally, where the seedling came from originally, because if it was a, a species or if it was a variety that came from the mountains, um, and you're planting it down near the coast, it could be a problem. But if there's you know a variety that um, you can plant that you know was grown down there um, and came from a, a variety down there, then you're much likely to have a better success with it. But I mean, it's kind of a bit yeah, well, superfluous at this point. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But no, I mean, they 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 grow very well in lots of locations. Okay. So. Mm. I, I'd be trying to save it, to tell you the truth. Oh, we'll definitely do that. We, you know, we're not, at, you know, about to cut it down or anything. Yeah. But um, uh, well, yes. Oh, okay. We'll we'll do that. It just but doesn't from our from our eyes, it, you know, it doesn't look like it's. I think the thing that you need to be careful of if you're replacing it is that you are, you can't really be sure what it is that's killing it if it does yeah. die. Yeah. Um, and if it's a, going to be a fungal disease like a phytophthora or something that has yeah. killed it, you really don't want to put another eucalypt back in that hole. Mm. No. Um, or certainly not, you know, immediately. So uh, that would be my, my, you know, recommendation if you if it does die. Are there any other plants that are being affected nearby? No. No. Okay. And there's there are no other gums, you know, and there are no other trees that, that size anywhere near it either. But 
No, nothing else. And is the dieback fairly recent? Yes. Yeah, look, yeah. I'd, I'd be inclined to give it a few mm. good waterings and, and try and nurture it for, you know, at least six months and, and see if it comes back for you. Yeah, yeah, good idea. Thank you very much. Okay. No okay, bye. 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 If you'd like to join us this morning, that number to speak to the team on air is 94190155 or to speak to Jan on the outside line, 94198377. You've brought in some bits and pieces. <laughs> well, it's funny because I brought in one little plant. I thought, oh, Jeremy and Penny are coming in. They're going to have <laughs> baskets of plants and it's the only little plant that's sitting in the studio, so just as well I did. Um, this plant, as many listeners will know, um, I reference all my plants by what does and doesn't get eaten by rabbits. And this plant doesn't get eaten by rabbits. It's not a native. It's a salvia, and it's uh, Salvia anthony parker, um, which is getting a bit droopy now. It wasn't droopy earlier. Um, and I always go to call it uh, Salvia albert parker because somebody bought called Albert gave it to me but it's Anthony Parker and um, Salvia lovers um, will know the plant very well has some um, long uh, spikes uh, terminal spikes of beautiful uh, purple flowers which are just starting to open up now it's a um, hybrid between a Lucantha and Elegans and both of those come from uh, Mexico is it Mexico? Mexican uh, conifer forests? Yeah, Lucantha yeah. yeah. is the, yeah. known as the Mexican sage. Well, yeah, of yeah. course, yeah, yeah. So, and, and the elegans as well, which is the pineapple sage, and both come from um, these conifer forests. And both of those plants, interestingly, aren't thought to be frost hardy, and yet this um, Anthony Parker is quite frost hardy um, in saying that it does get hit by the frost and um, but bounces back really well. This particular variety gets to about 1.2 um, high and similar width. I've got them growing in 40 centimetre pots and outside the glasshouse, and they're they're absolutely terrific. And they start flowering around this time of year, and they'll go uh, through into winter. So they're um, really good food source for for the bees and the uh, um, the eastern spinebills, which come in for them, which I absolutely adore watching. Uh, yeah, lovely, um, hardy, very hardy plant, as I say, in pots, um, but watered very regularly. And um, I've, I've grown them with uh, Salvia gregii alba because I wanted that purple and white display, but um, they flower at different times of the year, so that's not quite <laughs> working out very well. But, uh, yeah, it, it's a terrific plant and um, definitely doesn't, nobody's interested in the wallaby doesn't care for it the rabbits don't care for it the occasional deer that comes through is absolutely disinterested so if you've got any of those animals on your property um the salvia anthony parker could be the one for you right so do you have it in your garden i think so yeah so they would be using most probably 40 or 50 salvias but i have yep. grown that one and yep. i I think so. <laughs> so I'll go and have another look. Uh, but you're right about the um, the rabbits. So we're, we're, 
one or two families moved in on Cloud Hill in the last 12 months, which is slightly nerve-wracking, and I've noticed they're, they're having a go at pretty well everything except salvias, okay. and they don't seem to touch any of them. Mm. Yeah, well, that was what I was going to ask. Do you find they don't eat other salvias? Well, the well. Gregii that I've got there, uh, they haven't touched either, and that's got a much more delicate leaf, I suppose, mm. whereas the Slucanthus got a very quite a smelly leaf and although I mean really doesn't seem to matter if a plant is smelly or not it must be some particular oil in the salvias that they don't like because I mean mm. if we plant rosemary out that which as we all know is very smelly and 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 tough to eat um the rabbits go crazy for that but what about lavender do they eat lavender uh, yep they eat okay. lavender all lavenders uh, well, I haven't tried all of them. All the main ones. So they've certainly in the lot, but uh, yeah, the, the salvia is completely disinterested in. So. Yeah. Well, there are, what, 900 salvias? Exactly. <laughs> yeah, that, that's, know, that's not counting the hybrids, and that's yeah. a hybrid straight away, and there's yeah. hundreds, and many, many hundreds of hybrids, and they flower at every time of the year. And uh, I once saw a, uh, walked into a garden with a lady who had a collection of tropical salvias that all needed shade and all were growing a, a metre, two metres high mm. and uh, liked a little bit of moisture and a bit of shade, they, the woodland conditions. So mm. the, you think of them as uh, Mediterranean plants yeah, or yeah, Mexican yeah, plants yeah, yeah, and yeah. Uh, arid zone plants, the, the sage brush plains of America, uh, but uh, some of them are tropical, like a bit of moisture and mm. not too much sun. Yeah. <laughs> okay, there you go. All right, uh, we are running through until 9.15, so if you'd like to uh, ask a garden question this morning, you can uh, still have time to jump on the phones. That number is 94191055 to speak to the team on air, or if you'd like to have a chat to Jan on the outside line, 94198377. We'll go next to uh, Jill in East Brighton. Good morning, Jill. Good morning, Pam and the gang. Uh, wonderful show this morning, particularly, I thought, just been absolutely riveted with all the information and uh, discussion. Um, and I guess I just wanted to put in my two bobs worth um, about the snow gums on the peninsula. Oh, There's actually a remnant um, population of, of snow gums that have apparently been there since the last ice age at Mount Martha. <gasps> I don't mean the original trees, <laughs> but they're descendants. Uh, which, you know, um, is, is part of the park on the top of the headland at uh, Mount Martha. I can't think of its name, but anyway, uh, just that, yes, you know, they, they can survive down there mm. and, and actually kind of belong down there in a way. You, you know, you were saying how they can grow in very different conditions and uh, this lot have managed to do to do that for a very long time. Mm. I, love uh, our, I love our listeners, Pam. Mm. Thank yeah. you. <laughs> <Great. Yes. laughs> <laughs> and I also just want to put in a little report that I think I told, was weeping over my weeping cherry which had been eaten down almost to ground level by possums and um, two nights ago uh, or two, uh, two mornings ago woke up to find a lot of possum hair on the back lawn and then a neat little pile of possum entrails oh. courtesy of, of a fox I think oh a fox in East Brighton yes no I don't think uh, I don't think the owl but even though I am actually planning to do a habitat garden, um, redo my garden to be, make it more of a habitat garden, it is a bit already, um, I was absolutely thrilled to see this site. <laughs> <laughs> I always find it really disappointing when people say that because possums, 
are one of the few mammals that we can have in our gardens and have some sort of interaction with, especially, I mean, the brushies. A lot of the smaller possums we don't get to see very much. They're usually at the tops of eucalypts. But brushies, they'll come down. We've got our resident, Mrs. Pospos, and um, she's got a, a joey on her back at the moment. And I just, they're so adorable. And we give her an apple every night. And I know I live in the bush and there's a lot of eucalypts and stuff for her to eat. But she doesn't eat any of the other plants. No, I think the difference is if you're in the sort of inner suburbs where there's not so many native plants, and I, I do have a number of them, but, um, and, and the fact that um, uh, all the gardens around here are being bulldozed and, you know, McMansions yes. are being all squashed onto the box, they're all coming into my garden and it's not just the weeping cherry. It really is just absolutely been decimated so many of the plants have been mm. uh, and killed including really established trees and I actually had a I have a big lemon scented gum which didn't grow for 10 years until I realized that it was possums eating all the new growth oh, gosh. and and so it's not true that they can't really damage native trees they've, they've um, killed my neighbor's tree I put a um, perspex ring around and the tree went hallelujah and suddenly shot up about another five legs and so yeah look you know i i do think they're adorable i do but at the same time i do want some garden left yeah and that's fair enough but i'm interested that you say you had a lot of possums because did you actually see them because possums are really territorial and hear them every night on the roof yeah and um you know it's really possum city here uh, and has been for a lot of years, but it's, of course, getting worse with all this, what I think of as hideous overdevelopment. Um, and I do feel for them because I'm sure that, they've, you know, their garden has been destroyed, so they've got to find somewhere to make a living. But, but they really have been, uh, you know, incredibly destructive in mine. Mm. And, and it's, it's obviously mine is not enough to support the present population. Yeah, yeah. We, we really need to plant a few more eucalypts, basically. They're, yes, they're and, and, and get in a few more powerful owls, you know. I'm <laughs> very happy for, it, it, to have that yeah. sort of... And in fact, <clears> yes, we're, it's we're very thrilled because I've had, had three, um, a pair of tawny frog males and a barn owl in my garden just uh, last week. Wow. And so... Very thrilled about all of yeah. that. Oh, yes. So yeah. please don't think I'm completely heartless. <laughs> <laughs> no, not at all. I, I'm really lucky in my garden because my neighbour two doors up feeds her possums mm-hmm. um, and probably in the same way that you do. And I don't have a possum problem because mm. they, they're yes. so well, territorial. I, I tried like the keep, feeding thing for some they years. They keep the I other just, things out. Yeah, I, I um, tried feeding them and, and all it just seemed to do is bring more in. So okay. they still still mowed off all the plants. That the, okay. Yes, anyway, look, just... just thought I'd mention about the snow gum. Yeah, yeah, thank you. That's a really that's interesting and, piece of and information. And my three pretend owls seem, seem to have been completely useless. <laughs> oh, totally. Yeah, absolutely. But, but perhaps attracting the real thing. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> quite, quite ridiculous. Anyway, wonderful show, so thank you. Okay, thanks, Bye. Jill. Bye. Mm-hmm. That's really interesting, a uh, uh, population of snow gums in the peninsula. Mm. Uh, obviously, it's been isolated there for a long time and... and uh, uh, you, you sort of watch evolution in action and that gene pool gradually separating from the snow gums up in the snow country, yeah, I yeah. suppose. Mm. Yeah, no, it is and, really uh, interesting. Yeah, so I remember chatting with a friend of mine uh, who uh, was so upset by the um, damage done by Black Saturday and 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 uh, the reseeding of uh, forest that was going on because um, in some areas the, the forests have been burnt twice 
um, within the period that the trees need to um, produce seed. Mm. They, um, many of those, uh, the alpine ash, the, the mountain ash, um, they, they, they need to go for 20, 30 years, um, well, 30, 40 years really without a fire but to get to a height where they're uh, producing seeds. Yeah. So if you have two fires within 15 years, you lose your forest. It's completely gone. There's, there's the seedlings from the first forest that don't survive to seed. And, of course, that means reseeding. Mm. But the seed, of course, comes from a different area. And mm. so the gene pool of that particular section of forest is lost. Yeah. And that's really serious. And, yeah. and it, I mean, it's so true because we tend to think of um, species as being exactly the same. But, of course, there's such a huge um, variation both yeah. in the height and what they look like and also in the genetic variation depending on where they grow. So a plant, it's just like people, you know, a plant that um, grows well um, at Mount Buller, a snow gum that grows well at Mount Buller is um, going to feel very differently about uh, growing well down at, on the Mornington Peninsula so yeah. they, they don't only change in how they look but they, their genetic variability changes as yeah. well and they can cope with different conditions Absolutely yeah. I mean, in, in, in England for instance they've been experimenting with eucalypts for, for generations but uh, you read the English books and they're always talking about the provenance of the seed what altitude was the seed collected at mm. and Australians are pretty rough and ready about this sort of thing but Very. in England they know if they <laughs> collect the seed from a fairly high altitude, it's more likely to survive the English winter. Yes. And, and um, so the, the, they're very particular about that sort of mm. thing, but mm. it illustrates the same concept. Mm. Yes, yeah, I, I was just going to say that um, it's the same with Australian plants if you're talking medicinal plants too, because the, the oil content can vary hugely mm. depending on where the plants come from. And okay. it's really important that you have an idea of its provenance and, and where it's come from to know whether it's going to be, um, and in cooking too, so whether it's going to have the flavours that you're expecting it to mm. have because of the oil content. Mm. So do you need a warmer or a cooler climate for oil content? Uh, look, it varies. It, it just varies? varies depending on where it's come from wow. because they've developed in different, particularly some of the faster growing plants, they've developed in different areas and, in, and developed different characteristics. So okay. if you're buying a... Prostrantha that's been sourced from one area, it could smell totally different um, as far as the balance of the different oils mm. if it comes from another area. Mm. Angus so. Stewart is uh, experimenting with uh, oils from Australian plants at the moment. And oh, is he? Uh, yeah, he's uh, got a bit of a project happening in, in conjunction with um, UTAS, University of Tasmania, and he's finding even he's you can't walk past a plant now with Angus without him crushing it and yeah. making you smell it and, and talking about the oils and, the, and it's yeah. absolutely wonderful. And but even populations within a few kilometres of each other, if the soil has that variability in it, mm. the oils are going to be different. It's sort mm. of a no-brainer. But again, yep. it goes back to what we we're thinking about the species plants. You tend to think of them all the same, but of course they're not. It depends on where yep. they're grown and how they're grown, how much moisture is in the soil. And he's finding this incredible variability with. Um, oils, these, they've been doing um, tests on Kunzia oil, for example. Okay. Uh, Kunzia ambigua, I think it is, and they collect it from various places, and yeah, it has quite variable um, oil content, and mm. uh, yeah, it's very interesting. And yeah, because if, if we're talking about medieval, or we're talking about English plants and plants that have been used for hundreds of years for, in cooking and in medicine. They've been developed to have a particular profile, whereas in Australia, this is all new. For, for 
for us for the sort of technical mm. side. I'm sure that you know the native peoples knew exactly where to go for what plant with the right balance of yep. oils. But yep. technically, for you know, if you're trying to say to people, you know, if you use this plant, it will have this flavour in your cooking. Um, it's much harder to do about Australian native plants mm. because we haven't had that. Yeah, I think the ultimate example is French tarragon, isn't it? That, uh, yeah. My understanding is French tarragon is, is one clone, which, yeah. uh, which was... Yeah. Uh, Doesn't uh, produce Yeah, it's sterile, and according to the story, uh, it was imported into England by Henry VIII's cook, uh, mm. uh, or the, the, the head chef at uh, Hampton Court, and... and uh, and all the French tarragon in the world today, it's, it's, they're still cuttings from that one mm. plant. And yes. In fact, there was a, a tissue culture lab uh, run by someone I know who was given the job of of getting rid of the viruses from this straggly old 400-year-old <laughs> plant. I mean, that, that's what it is, 400. It's got to be 400 years past. Yeah. So most mm. probably the French have been growing it for, for a few hundred <laughs> years uh, previously. So French tarragon is five, six, seven hundred years old mm. and full of viruses as plants tend to become when they're mm. that old. And, um, but apparently, if you all tissue culturing, you're taking a few cells from the growing tips of the plant, and and uh, they tend to be slightly the viral load is slightly lower at that point. And if you keep on tissue culturing and mm. tissue culturing your tissue cultured plants, you gradually clean up the plant. Mm. And I think the story was that the French tarragon was tissue cultured 38 times or something Gosh. like that, and they ended up with a much stronger plant. It was always back to where it was 400 years ago. Yes, yeah, so. Wow. So that's, that's what you're buying in nurseries story. right now. Yeah. That's a great story. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. They do the same with garlic. So, yeah. Mm. <laughs> Goodness me. Okay, um, I must uh, mention quickly that we do have one uh, free double pass left uh, for um, to go and have a look at Sally's Garden, open next weekend. This is in Bendigo, and this is the... Um, Contemporary style garden uh, with different series of intimate uh, living spaces uh, where you can sit and enjoy the garden. So if you'd like to phone in and uh, get that last free double pass, we will post it out to you. Uh, do uh, give us a call on 94190155. We're going to go next to uh, Tim in Murrumbina. Good morning, Tim, and thanks for waiting. Good morning, uh, Pam. I'm talking to our host. Yes. Yes, good morning, Pam, panel, and all our listeners. I was just listening to that um, last call of the lady before on the possums. I live in Murrumbina, and um, we're pretty well on chops at the Sky Rail, and uh, a lot of development around here. We had some beautiful possums that used to come into our backyard, and I'd feed them too, but they've, uh, they've all gone. The overdevelopment mm-hmm. around here is uh, there's no, not a lot of gardens left. Mm. And a lot of the old homes are coming down for these great big concrete apartments, and um, they've, they've got rid of them. But um, while, while I'm ringing, uh, we've had two Lisbon lemon trees, and um, the first older one I got rid of in the end because the gore wasp, I just couldn't keep on top of it. I was cutting it out, and I was hanging those sticky things that you buy, you know, from the hardwares that are about yep. 12, 14 inches long. Um, they were fairly effective, you know, you'd definitely see there was a lot of catch on them, but uh, they they certainly weren't getting rid of them and cutting it out, they just kept coming back. I sprayed the bloody plant with things and I did other things. And, and in, the end, in the end, I got rid of that one and I got another one uh, from uh, one of the big hardware chains and uh, it was good for a while and the gore wasp got right into it and I was cutting it all out and, you know, putting it in the bin and uh, carefully and everything and getting rid of the infected parts. 
And um, in the end, I, I went back to a uh, and uh, what we used to do years ago. I'd, I always remember a family around the corner, a big family from where I grew up, and the mum always used to say to us boys, if there was a party going, we on the tree out in the backyard, the toilets for the girls. And you know, they had a fairly, and they, their lemon tree was absolutely um, prolific with fruit when it uh, flowered and when it came into fruit. And uh, it was a very good one. So I've instructed my teenage boys to urinate on the tree, <laughs> which I've done several times, too, or a lot of times, actually. And the gore wasp hasn't come back. So I'm wondering if we've all, um, you know, the male species, uh, we've all, you know, we've become a little bit too, uh, uh, what's the word, you know, thinking, oh, you know, I shouldn't have a wear out in the backyard. <laughs> yeah. You're providing uh, a community <laughs> service, Tim. <laughs> <laughs> well, hopefully I am, uh, because uh, I, that's worked for me. And, um, you know, in the 70s and the 80s, you know, it, um, you'd... you'd you know, we all had bigger backyards, mm. and if you had a party or something like that, often the boys would just go down to the back lemon tree. Yeah. Uh, there was no uh, secret about that. And, um, yep, that's what we've been doing. And I just wanted your um, thoughts on that. I'll just uh, let it's just a coincidence, but... Yeah, look, I, I, um, I have no problem with you weighing on your lemon tree. My husband does the same thing, but um, I don't think it. I think I don't think it's cause and effect. I, I just can't see a way that um, knowing how the gall wasps work, that that weighing on your tree or doing anything like that sort of to your tree is likely to to stop the gall wasp. I would suspect that you've been talking about a lot of clearing going on. Um, it may well be that you've lost all your nearby lemon trees so that they're not being reinfected from, your trees not being reinfected from other lemon trees because the gall wasps don't actually fly very far. Um, right. So if you can get your neighbours to control their lemon trees, then you have a much better chance of yours not being reinfected. So I, I, I would put it down to um, the development and the fact that um, you, you are losing nearby lemon trees. And maybe also because with the weeing, um, the health of the tree yeah, is improving. you may be improving so the health of the tree. making a, a stronger, more robust maybe, tree. Yeah. 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 So don't, okay. don't stop weeing on the lemon yeah, tree. Yeah, no, I, I agree with that totally. I'm just not sure about the cause and effect. Yeah, yeah. Oh, the, tree, the tree is quite healthy. It's, it's yeah. up against a fence, which is not ideal because it's not growing in its natural sort of form. Yep. Um, Lemon but, trees know, are incredibly adaptable, though. Yeah, yeah. I've, I've tied it against the back fence to stop it from, you know, um, sagging over and all that sort yeah. of thing. Mm-hmm. But um, uh, I just thought that might have been something in our urine that was, uh, you know, causing the uh, gore wasp to say, to oh, stay well, away. I'm, look, I'm packing my bags. Look, I'm there going, is such a like thing as, as, as systemic pesticides that you can, you know, put into the soil and they go up through the tree and get taken into the tissue. But look, I, I, look, I doubt it because effectively what you're doing is putting on urea, which is what you have in if you're putting out horse manure and that sort of thing too. Okay, but um, uh, it's uh, and you could be right too. Um, our area, the development around here, the right through to Bentley McKinnon. I'm not going to get on a political. Uh, um, uh, soapbox, but uh, it seems like our council in this area uh, uh, seem to be uh, hell-bent on seeing it, uh, you know, um, just happen to the degree it is happening. It's, um, mm. We, we yes. have lost, you know, the, the, I'm near the Neerham Road sort of area and it's, you know, it's all down there. It's just, uh, it's all just apartments now, so yeah. all the old homes are getting torn down. Yeah. Mm. Um, but um, maybe there is a lot of uh, other people, lemons, you know, all, this, all the gardens that have been destroyed in the process of uh, digging a hole that's 20 foot into the ground and mm, tearing yeah. all these properties mm. out. But um, 
Uh, okay. Well, well, thank you. I just thought that that uh, you know it may have been too much of a coincidence. As soon as we started yeah. weighing on it, the gore wasp was. Um, I'd, uh, I'd um, back. report back next year. Yeah, please do. Yeah, <laughs> and okay. see, just yeah. see how you because we're not we you know we're really only just getting into gore wasp season now, and you should just be starting to see the swellings now I if you've see. got them. So, okay. um, so that's because it's the plant's just about well, it is flowering now. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But yeah. usually they you you need to if you're going to prune them back, you need to have done that by August at the latest. Although these days I'm saying July, so we're only still in April. So yeah. keep an eye on your tree for the next month or so, um, because you may still have some swellings appearing. I see. All righty. And uh, okay. Yeah. Uh, good advice. And uh, and and thank you. And hopefully we'll have a. Um, a good supply of what? Um, not wasps. Uh, lemons. Uh, lemons. lemons. I don't want the wasps. <laughs> no, no I don't, uh, they're a blasted nuisance. I can't remember them. Uh, like we had a lemon tree in our backyard um, growing up in the Bentley area and uh, uh, other neighbours did too when we all had quarter, you know, acre blocks and... Um, I can't remember anyone ever having problems. Um, that's because they didn't, Tim. Gore wasps are an Australian native wasp, but they're native to warmer climate areas. So they had them in New South Wales and Queensland, um, and but they also had the natural predator there. So they're not the issue um, that they are in Victoria. But because of warming climate, the gore wasps have moved down here into, into Victoria, but the, unfortunately the predator didn't come with them, oh, which is right? why they're such an issue for us. Okay. So, so it's one um, of the effects of climate change. Have they come down, what, they've just uh, flown down or come down? Oh, with they've the just moved or? gradually, you know, further south and further south over, over the last decade. I see, yeah. Well, they're a damn nuisance. Yeah, yes, we like our exactly. Yeah. All righty, well, thanks for that. And, uh, yeah, I have a little bit of empathy for the possums. I think the possums have had, they've definitely had a hard time around here. They've, um, you know, we've uh, made a great lot of attempts to make sure they can't get into our roof space or anything like that or do yeah. any damage to our property. But uh, uh, we've certainly taken away all their, um, their native habitat and trees and everything around here That's now. right. Yeah, yeah. 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 Okay, so, Tim, well, best of luck and um, report back. Okay, I will do for sure. Thank you so much for your time and I've, uh, I'm enjoying the program. Great. This morning. It's fantastic. Great okay, stuff. thank you. Bye. Thanks, bye. Right, next up we have uh, Gwen in Mount Waverley. Good morning, Gwen. Hello. Yes. Uh, I'm ringing on behalf of my daughter who has a real healthy um, Daphne and uh, the last two years, it flowers, it's budding up again now, but the flowers down the stem and not on the uh, tips, and she can't pick it. So I was wondering if there's anything that you can suggest to alter that. Not me. We're all looking at Jeremy. Yeah, what, a Daphne Odora? Sorry? A Daphne Odora, the old-fashioned Yes, Daphne. the old-fashioned one, yeah. Oh, Beautiful stems. bush. Flowers lovely, but it's all down the stems. Is that normal, Jeremy? Well, it's slightly unusual. Um, how, much, um, how much foliage does it have? Is it, has oh, it been covered. It's really healthy okay. bush. It's about two years old, I would say, maybe a bit more, I'm not oh, sure. Oh, two years old, so it's quite young, so it's still growing. Yeah, look, I, I think it will settle down and start growing on the, uh, flowering on the growing tips uh, over the next two or three years. In that case, I think it's just a little bit of patience. I don't, I wouldn't do anything dr- uh, drastic. No. Is, is uh, it possible the tips have been um, dry, dried out or? Um, no, no, it's all green and everything can. 
looks lovely, but um, you know she likes to want to be able to pick it. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I think I think it's, I think it's just thing, you know, but she can't do that. I think it's just growing strongly, and and the, the growth is powering past the, the buds. And um, so, hence the buds are underneath the leaves. But as it uh, over the next two th- uh, year or two, it'll it'll slow down and becomes twiggy, and then the the buds will present as you'd expect. Okay. On the tips. Yeah, mm. yeah, that makes sense. Okay. Well, I'll pass that on to her. Okay. Thank you. Bye. Bye. Oh. It's, uh, we've got uh, about 10 minutes or so if you'd like to phone in and ask a gardening question. The number is 94190155 to speak to Penny, AB or Jeremy on air or if you'd like to have a chat to Jan on the outside line, 94198377. Go for it. <laughs> Ab is just madly. collecting her props. Yeah, yeah, that's right, collecting my show and tell things. Um, well, we, as we know, we've had that really dry uh, summer and autumn as well, and that has seen a lot of uh, wasps in the garden, but also a lot of uh, rodents, especially for us. We have just had an absolute plague of them. We've got a uh, a covered section within our vegetable garden slash chook shed where I sit often and I'm not exaggerating here I can sit there not now because they're gone but there were 10 10 rats uh, from two (laughs) very very quickly very brazen would come out and feed while I was sitting a meter away from them didn't care and uh, so we knew we had to do something so I don't don't like using poisons I will say that we have resorted in the last week to using poisons inside the house uh, because they were starting to come in the house running around everywhere didn't even care that we're sitting watching telly that you know that just runs straight past they don't give a damn about you and um so we have actually used some poisons in the house um usually the rats will die in the house and then we take them out and bury them so that uh, none of the uh kookaburras or anything will take them but um one thing that uh, we've also had reasonable success with uh we've tried uh those traps which kind of snap back and supposedly break their necks but inevitably they usually just break a leg or something and then you've got to kill a maimed rat. Um, So one of the ones I've brought in, I've brought in two uh, rat traps and one of the ones is a um, electronic version and it's it's a battery operated version and it's a basically a a small tunnel and the rat runs in across a metal plate and basically gets electrocuted uh gets electrocuted very quickly within you know three seconds it's all over red rover and um we've just this season we've killed three with um this electronic version which i find very good they do take the double d batteries there's four of them so that can be a bit expensive if if you're Mm. using um if you're not uh, um, repowering them. Um, but, yeah, if, if you don't like using poisons or if you want to use it in conjunction with poisons, like we'll just go back to these traps again uh, now. Now we've pretty much got rid of most of them. There's a couple still running around. But, uh, yeah, so we've, we've killed three in uh, the electronic one. And then I was going to go and buy another electronic one so we could have one in the house and one in the garden. And I've came across this other one, which is called a, a Noosey. Um, 
new ski and it's a um, another plastic version but this one uh, kills the rats they run into this little tunnel you put um, uh, a bait of chocolate or peanut butter or whatever and they run into this tunnel and then this tiny uh, basically it's a, an elastic band type of thing but an extremely strong very very strong rubber band and and um, it's uh, the rat runs through the tunnel, triggers this little mechanism and the rubber band pushes itself around the rat's chest and suffocates it and um, apparently they die outside of the trap. I I haven't had a rat die in it, we've only had it for a couple of weeks, Um, got it inside the house so I can't speak for its effectiveness yet but apparently it's got a very good kill rate. Um, so that that's a Nooski one, and it doesn't use batteries. So I'm, I'm hopeful that will work. Um, so if you you know for people who don't, mm. if they've got pets or, or or chickens or whatever, and don't like to use poisons, uh, these are two fairly um, yeah I would I would say very useful um, alternatives. Mm. Have Good. You, have you used no, any I have them? No, no. No. Do you have a rat problem anyway? Do, do get, because I've got chooks. Okay, know, yeah, bring, yeah. When you've got chooks, you have rats around. Yeah. But, um, and because it's been so dry, but we, we tend to bait. Okay. Yeah. yeah. Even outside? Yeah. Yeah, okay. Yeah, but we're just very careful about picking up any bodies that are around. Yeah, quickly. Very quickly. Yeah. 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 yeah, so, but th- that's a couple of um, good good examples. I think the Nooski one is pretty new because I haven't, yeah. haven't seen it before. I guess my only worry with that would be how long they would take to die. Yes, I was oh, thinking quick. the same thing. Well, apparently, it's really I, I've, yeah, apparently it's a few seconds. Right. Okay. It, it, uh, the, um, the rubber band itself is uh, this big and it's um, yeah really strong and it just collapses around their chest. So, yeah, apparently it takes about four seconds for them to die. Okay. Um, yeah, I mean, I'm a, I mean, you say that that's a concern, but then you look at yeah, poison. I, I mean, know. it takes that's weeks yeah. to die from a poison and really it is the most horrific way for them to die. Yeah, but, yes, uh, yeah. Yes, uh, and, and just sp- sp- oh, we've got to get to call no, this. That's yeah. okay. Oh, I was just going to say, um, speaking of uh, poisons, I've, I've noticed the effects of the. There was a Khaleesi virus um, released, uh, I think it was last March, and it's finally made its way to Bend of Islands because we're seeing a real uh, mm. drop off in, in rabbit numbers and okay. uh, seeing the effect of that. So it Good. is making its way around. Okay, so this one's supposed to be more effective in, in temperate climates because, oh, because the original one was, I mean, it had a great success rate in, you know, Western Australia, South Australia, but not over in Victoria yeah, so much. Yeah, absolutely, and plus also the uh, rabbits built up a resistance to it. So yes. Yeah, yeah. It's, it, it's, a, it's a new strain of the same one, basically. Okay. But yeah, I mean, again, a horrible way to die, but really, rabbits are... Yeah. Yeah, as we know. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> All right, let's get to a couple of callers quickly. Firstly, we have uh, our good friend Alex in Beaconsfield. Good morning, Alex. Hi, Pam. And uh, I just want to applaud you and your team because week after week you provide a wonderful program and it's uh, not for money but just for the love of gardening and your wonderful volunteers. Oh, I'll... thanks, Alex. Now, uh, I also like your tolerance of people with crazy ideas like me maybe <laughs> but uh, I've, I've just been thinking that we've got two choices when it comes to development and the spread of housing and things we can deplore it or we can po- be positive and support the habitat 
gardens like uh, AB's speaking about and gardens for wildlife and gardens for small spaces and things, which I think is just the way of the future, really. Rooftop gardens. <coughs> yeah, roof yeah. gardens Balcony too, gardens. isn't it amazing? Yeah. Yes. But and the thing is, Alex, though, what we need to do is encourage them to, if they're building flats, to build flats where you can do those things. Yes. Not... Oh. not you know, and, and to incorporate them into the building of the flats, and that's the thing that we're missing out on, and what makes me, what really upsets me. Mm. Well, we built about five years ago mm. at Beaconsfield, and we're delighted to find that we're getting birds back. Good. Uh, you know, uh, and certainly we've increased the birds that are coming into the gardens. We don't count the Indian miners and things <laughs> like that, but <coughs> eastern spinebills give us a thrill. Mm. Yeah. My specific question really has to do with blue-banded bees. Mm -hmm. I would be delighted if we could find them in our garden, and I'm just wondering, are there any plants that we could provide to encourage them? Well, I'm finding in my garden, Alex, that I've got them coming onto um, particularly the pink-flowered salvias. Oh, I'm surprised because uh, bees, they are very attracted to the blue spectrum of plants. So if you plant any of the um, blue flowering plants, the, they, they will certainly come in. Mine, mine love the lavender. Yep. I've, I've, oh, they're, right. they're all over my um, <coughs> um, Riverina James lavender. Mm -hmm. They really love it. But um, one of the things with blue-banded bees is that they... They're another thing that's moving south, so it may just be that yours, you haven't quite got the blue-banded bees in your garden yet. I only had blue-banded bees in my garden for the first time last year. So they're, they're more warm climate, and they're just gradually, you know, it's one of the good things oh, that right. is moving down mm. in further into Victoria. And the, the other thing th is they build nests in clay. Um, mm. so The um, females do. Yes, the yes. females do. So if you think about, um, a lot of people have made little insect hotels yeah. for their yeah. gardens but they've made them out of wood um if you can um there's designs out there to make um ones using um clay clay yeah basically you make a mud brick i did one yeah actually, a mud brick yeah one. in in my book i would just show people okay. how to make a mud brick and then you can put in holes that are you need uh, certain sizes yeah eight, yeah eight eight mils wide by um 13 centimeters long and uh yeah Hopefully you'll, um, because the female blue-banded bees, they, they like, even though they have solitary holes, they, um, they like to congregate together. So they'll build their nests in the same area as each other. So you might find a few moving in. And the other thing is to not mulch your whole garden too, so that you have bare soil in Absolutely. places, yep. so that you, your insects can get burrow into the yep. soil and yep. create and stag beetles and, yes. and whatnot, yep. all of that. Look, that's wonderful, and now I must go and talk to my wife and see if I'm permitted to buy <laughs> another book. Maybe <laughs> sold another book, I think. Well, yeah. not out yet. Not out yet. At, at least make yourself a mud brick. Yeah, and and the other thing is that there's a really nice little um, video on the internet with a blue-banded bee um, pollinating a tomato flower, and what they actually do is they headbutt it. Oh. So they at sort of 300 times a second they do this headbutting motion on the on the flower and it is just incredible to watch. So if you want to have a look at blue banded bees headbutting yep. flowers, yep. it's just gorgeous. <laughs> just go, just put it into your search engine and you'll find it. I'll certainly do that when your program's finished. Okay, good on you, good on you Alex. <laughs> Thank you. Bye. Bye.
Right, we need to get a wriggle on. We've got a couple of callers to get through. So uh, we're going to uh, Elizabeth in Preston. Good morning, Elizabeth. Oh, good morning. Look, I just wanted to make a comment about um, feeding the dead rats after they've been poisoned to the kookaburras. Um, I've noticed um, we have rats really badly around here because it's a, there's a creek and shopping centre and goodness. Anyway, and I have to use poison in the roof. Um, but I have noticed that the, after, if there's one that's died in the roof, the flies are sluggish, that the ones that have attacked the rats. So I would be really careful about feeding um, the dead rats that have been poisoned to kookaburras. Oh, yeah, no, oh, yes. we all say don't do that. You bury yeah, them. Yeah, sorry, instead. you may have misheard because yeah. we weren't saying feeding them to kookaburras. No, no, we were oh, saying you we're need saying to, bury. You need saying to bury them and yeah. or get rid of them or put them in the rubbish bin Yeah. Um, so that the kookaburras are not eating them. Yeah, yeah. I feel very sorry for them, to tell you the truth, because they're very cute. But, they um, and, but they just gnaw through your wires and yes, yeah. everything. Yeah. Yeah. No, but definitely okay. not... Not Don't feed the them to your kookaburras. Yeah, okay. Thank okay. you very much. <laughs> We've Bye. had them creating nests in the f- under the front bonnet of the car. Yeah. Oh, chewing, through, chewing through things okay. in the process. Um, let's go now to Philippa in Sydenham. Good morning, Philippa. Good morning, ladies. Now, you do realise you are the sole reason, like for 20 years, that we all go and pay our dues oh. <laughs> because you do such a good job. And even when it's cold and wintry out there, we love to turn the radio on and listen to you. Oh, thank you. And we become wiser. <laughs> now, you've got uh, a quick a, question. I have a, a lime tree. I have a, a maple tree. Yes. It has a lime half moon, very wide, full leaf, very slow growing. I'd love to make it, turn the branches, cut them off, and make it into a weeping maple. But I don't know when to do that. Um, I don't think it's possible, <laughs> sadly. The, the bad news or the bad news? Yes. yes. Uh, oh, yeah, true. because weeping, weeping maples are grafted uh, as they're, uh, when they're young, and uh, so you, you have a rootstock, and the uh, and the weeping material is is budded at a certain height, and and uh, and th- that's the weeping maple. It's a, a slightly different uh, growing form of the same maple, really. Um, so a maple that you already have, um, well, I must probably just simply have to enjoy it as it is. Um, it's in a pot. I've had it for 20 years. Okay. And I love it because it's very slow-growing as opposed to the very basic, ordinary, uh, rather tall-growing maple that I have uh, as well. And I thought, is it not possible to cut into the side part of the bark? with uh, a branch and attach it or it wouldn't work. I wonder well, if you can uh, weigh uh, it down, it, Jeremy. Yeah, it's, uh, um, well, it's interesting that it's 20 years old in a pot. Most probably it's a Japanese maple. There's not too many other maples that would be happy in a pot for that long. Um, and the chances are it's already a uh, grafted maple. Um, so um, I, I just try and identify it, actually, um, snip off the leaf and you have to do it pretty quickly because they're just about to fall off 
and take her to a nursery and, and uh, the, with a good range of maples and find someone who can identify it. Can, can I just suggest that you love the one that you've got and go and buy yourself one that is grafted? Well, most probably they, they'll be able to sell you one at that point. <laughs> you see, wisdom in the ge- again, you win. <laughs> Have a lovely morning. Okay. Thanks, Philippa. Bye. I'm afraid uh, we have run out of time for yet another week. How did that go so quickly? Oh, it always <laughs> does, OB. It's amazing. <laughs> I must say um, a very big thank you to Jan and Liz who've been uh, holding uh, the phones for us this morning. And, of course, a huge thank you to the team, to Penny, AB and Jeremy. Um, and, of course, uh, that's it for today, but we will be back at uh, 7.30 next Sunday morning. So do join us then. Until then, bye for now. You've been listening to a 3CR podcast produced in the studios of independent community radio station 3CR in Melbourne, Australia. For more information, go to allthews.3cr.org.au.